Hi, I'm Marty Grizzani, and this is The Marty Grizzani Show. As a full-time real estate investor and business owner, I have a real fascination of finding the key principles for business success and personal development. This show is a reflection of my personal mission to find out what truly makes somebody successful in business and in life. We will find tools and tactics that they've used to reach those levels. If you're the type of person is not satisfied with average and you have a hunger for learning that will never cease, this show is for you. Welcome to the show. I was spilling my heart to Jeremiah about his story and how basically he started, we were talking about back in you know Las Vegas, buying houses, single family homes. And in those times you could buy houses with literally no money down, those ninja loans, you know, no income. You could just, it'd be ridiculous. They, they kind of set people up for failure. Now we're, we're going to take responsibility for our actions, of course. But at the end of the day, there was a system in place and people were using that system when the financial collapse occurred, uh, Jeremiah in his book talked about how he lost all of his properties that he had built up, you know, really hit rock bottom. And I was telling him, you know, one of the one of the things that's happening for me is I feel like those that <laughs> this is crazy, but I feel like those who hit rock bottom are able to then immediately find something and go, OK, I'm going to focus on mobile home parks or focus on whatever it is that they want to focus on that they see a big opportunity on. And then they just go all out on that one thing. I was telling him, you know. I'm very gratefully that we're having success with our flips and we're buying them correctly because we're buying them under market value and then adding value and then selling them for a profit. There's still a opportunity for us in flipping. There's still an opportunity to us in buying single family houses. And I think there's this mindset that's out there where it's like, especially, and I'll just say it in the group I'm in with the mastermind where like, if you're in residential, that's almost like we look down on you. And I'm like, huh, I'm still having a lot of success though with this. I do want to move into commercial because I know there's more, a lot more opportunity because I know that's where, you know, I know that's where a lot of money can flow and that's where some of the bigger players are. So if I want to be that type of person and I want to kind of have those types of uh, opportunities, I need to, I need to go where that the, the flow is. So I'm kind of in this, uh, I'm in this thing where it's like, man, do I need to just like, stop doing something that I'm having success in in order to focus on the one thing? Or is there an opportunity I can kind of do both? And so I'm kind of in that conundrum and we're just, we're just shooting the shit. It was a lot better <laughs> because we were really chatting about this, but now that I wasn't recording, but now we are. So anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> so to get on to that, you know, let's jump right into it. So I would say, all right, Marty, we're, this show is about Real estate entrepreneurs, real estate owners, business, you know, anyone that has a business that revolves around real estate. So your core business is real estate investment and, you know, going through some of the processes of, of that traction book in EOS, you know, by Gino Wickman there. Um, good book, good operating system for a business. I think it, it, for me, you know, having that framework where now I have to you know, go through these exercises if I'm going to decide to run my business through this. And it's a very simple framework that allows me to communicate key ideas across the organization so that I can get the people that I have hired or that I've decided to be on my team and go allocate their resources to my strategy. So you're, you're defining your strategy right now. And we always like to use sports as a good metaphor because, you know, we're guys and we relate to it really well. And, and business is a great way to, you know, it's, a, it's still a game. It's a competitive game, just like sports. 
So let's think of it this way, you know, okay, we want to communicate this. Uh, what, what is our mission, our focus, our, you know, our core driver of our team, you know, and for us, and you just mentioned it in what you do, you know, we deliver value, that period. So whatever we buy, it doesn't matter what we buy per se, we want to deliver value. When we deliver value to the sellers that sell us their property, we deliver value to the tenants, all the customers and people that occupy our commercial and residential properties. We deliver value to our investors by driving returns. And they're taking a shot on somebody that's an alternative investment. It's different. It's unconventional. It's a young and hungry guy that knows what he's doing. He's done it for a while. But now, you know, he's out there ramping it up, needs capital. So they want, you know, 20% plus returns if they can. They're, you know, they're going to they're gonna jump on us and, and see how we grow. And they want to be compensated for that. And we also add value to our joint venture partners, you know, either you know, vendors, people that we work with. And we add value to each other, our employees. So, you know, like, so we deliver, but our core mission for us, you know, is what do, what do we do? You know, that is what we do. And then, and then you have to have a culture in your organization. So I'm just kind of giving you the framework around building the team before you determine the strategy purely. And, and really that culture for us, as I went through this whole thing where, you know, culture is more important than I thought because yes, we need the skills, we need the technical skills to do the marketing and have the sales expertise and finesse to you know, build trust and close deals and to communicate and understand. I mean, that stuff is essential and know the accounting and the CapEx and the development and the operations. Like that is the nuts and bolts, the blocking and tackling of the business. But if you have that prima donna on the team or if you don't have key players and key positions, you're always going to lose. I mean, if you don't have one key quarterback or one key wide receiver, you just cannot win the game. You have to have a dynamic team and they have to buy into the culture where they're willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And our job is to deliver value to the investors. So and that culture, you know, quickly is the Patriot way. You know, you, you love my you don't love my team, but you might respect, you know, at least the culture. So, you know, the P is for, you know, passion and pride in what we do. A is accountability. Everybody takes accountability for their job. The T is teamwork and teachability. So we're open-minded and we got each other's backs. The R is resourceful. So we figure out a way. You always got to do something creative and different. You know, the O is obsessed or the I, I'm sorry, the I is integrity. So we just, we, you know, we treat people with respect and we, we stand behind our word. The O is obsessed with our skills and our craft. And we always want to get better. And the T is tenacity. Like we fucking dig into it. Like you, you and I, we're scrappers. That's never going to go away, no matter how big our company gets. So that culture for me now is like, okay, you know, I know what we're doing and I know the culture that I want to have. And I want to make sure that everybody buys into that. All right. Now let's look at, you know, where is the core business going to be so that we take that strategy and we go out there and employ it. And I was just thinking this morning, okay, you know, you got your coordinators, you know, you say so you're the, the head coach. You're in the head coach, what do they do? They, they make decisions. They are the final say on everything. But you got all your coordinators across their implementers. So they are, you know, like if you have, so we could just decide if we have an offense, defensive mindset, you know, we can have some creative different plays, run a West Coast offense or a, a run the ball offense, all that stuff. But our implementers have to go out there and execute. So, you know, even if you're not at the size of being able to have lots of, you know, coordinators or, or position coaches, so for me, it's like key execs. So now I'm able to hire execs where, you know, Tim's the COO. Uh, I got Diane as a, as a co-COO. I brought in Shane as a CIO, as an investment manager. So, you know, I got Chris in finance. I got a lot of people. So I got these key people in positions, Alec in finance. 
Uh, now I can go in there and I get to dictate the strategy that we're all going to employ. So that was a long answer of saying for you, it's, you know, I have multiple strategies. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't think that one strategy is exactly what you or I need in order to win the game of delivering value. So, you know, for us, you have to adapt with the market. You know, I did things ahead of time because, you know, just like the Pats picked up that West Coast short, you know, uh, pump and dump offense, right? And five yards at a time with yes. Wes Welker and, uh, and James White and those guys. It was so early, you know, like for us, like I want to do something that's a little ahead of what everyone else is doing and then everyone else catches on. So, yeah, I think you did come to the game a little bit of late with storage when you shared that earlier before the call was recording. And, you know, the game for me, I had to transition out of mobile home parks because, you know, it was starting to get more it just everybody was doing it. There was no edge. It was just it was saturated with investors. So for you to have a niche in your core region in the Rochester area that's making a comeback, we have some good industry coming in there. You're seeing positive growth in, in the uh, in the news and in the economic you know news out there. And then you also have, you know, affordable housing, which is, you'd have to say, it's still the most dominant asset class in the entire world. That's, that's just, you cannot AI that away, right? So, you know, stick with that, that niche where you, essentially, you're, you're a, a private equity operating, you know, management company, whatever you want to call it, uh, investment company. So that is one of your core pillars. Just build, build part of your team, build a coordinator around buying and building you know, up that part of the business of, you know, getting in light, high, having quality housing, generating cash flow, generating capital gains from sales, that's going to build up revenue for your company. And that's still going to be a key strategy that you have an edge with. So don't, do not leave that alone. Now there's, you can also be, you know, we talked about you getting into industrial property before this was on and this small bay industrial, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So and you're ahead of the curve here. You are you are anticipating a trend, and we're seeing that whatever the stats are, and anyone you know 70, 80 percent of employment is through small business, or maybe it's 60, 70. But the small business owner in this country is still the dominant employer and the grower of GDP. I mean, it's so that's why the America is so great because an entrepreneur can go out there and build a business for himself and his family. So we're providing that space for people where there's less and less product because no big player wants to go out there and build it. No one wants to deal with, like you said, the, you know, the local electrician or the local you know, uh, plumber or siding guy. So you getting out there and either buying older products or what I was pushing you towards is working on building or buying and expanding and building newer products where it's industrial base, you know, a thousand square feet, 15, 1600 square feet, they can take multiple units. They can take a single unit. They can park their vans. They can, you know, it's grade level. They can put all their stuff in there. They get one bathroom. They get one office. Uh, it's, they get their own power meter. It's very, very simple, you know, and it's turnkey. They're ready to go. You know, they want to be in tomorrow. So I, I love where your head's at with that. And then you have to identify and adjust you being the head coach. If your strategy is not working, if you're if you're employing running the ball or or that West Coast offense and it's just not working because you know all the defense has picked up on it, you gotta you gotta pivot. You can only do something so long. So if you're driving on storage like you were sharing with me earlier, and you're seeing everybody bought between 2016 and 2021, and they all have a premium price expectation because offers were getting thrown around because all the newbies came to the market. And I came in there 2016, I'm the same. So, you know, like if the opportunity doesn't exist or you feel it's not an allocation of your resources that you want to do. 
So, you know, pivot it and, and go to this other, you know, this other, I guess, uh, strategy where you can employ a coordinator there and build on that. And I would say not bounce around too quickly, pick a couple strategies and stick with them, which you're doing. And, and with that strategy, you know, I'm, I'm up against coming at kind of the same ideas where, you know, I have this, I, there's this argument in what we do about should you be regional based? Should you focus on location or should you focus on asset or, or should you focus on both? You know, that's kind of a decision that, you know, as a, as an early investor or any investor that's developing a strategy as the coach of the team has to decide. So for me, I did see advantages in storage and industrial by being regionally focused. I've seen a lot of other guys uh, that uh, we compete with and that are big or smaller than me, but all over, you know, and I've seen them get into national assets that are on uh, industrial. And I feel like they're making some mistakes that if you were more regionally focused, you would understand more of the nuances and the building codes and the tenant, you know, the tenant marketing and you have the tenant relationships with, uh, with some of your brokers. So I think that if you're going to go that route, I like that regional focus. I think for me, if, you know, I'm going to continue to stay focused and be in the Northeast over there. Uh, and, but I, you know, there's also another strategy with, you know, for you, maybe housing, you can bounce around, maybe not, maybe that's purely focused there for me, maybe, you know, I, I did bounce around and I was able to buy mobile home parks and just be asset, asset dominant, where I just, you know, I could buy anywhere and make it work, but that's a decision I'm still mulling around. So I think you getting clarity on that strategy and then working simultaneously where, you know, you know, that single family home market, though, there is a cap, I guess, if you stay regional and you stay in that one asset class, I think there's only so far, and unless you argue with it, that you can grow that business. And then you have to channel that into the commercial real estate assets that so many investors, smaller investors want to do, and then take that vehicle and be able to grow and scale that vehicle. But from what you told me at the beginning of the call, too, is like, your ambition is not to have, you know, you know, 5 million square feet of industrial. You want to have, you know, a couple of great projects to start, have, you know, I'm assuming low CapEx, somewhat newer product or decent product, good quality tenants that are going to service the community for forever. You know, someone's going to use those, those spaces and you just want some nice steady cash flow off those. So I, I'd say, you know, you're on the right track to make that pivot, but don't, you know, I would say pick it and stick with it, you know, don't, and I know you're working on some apartments, some other things, and that might, that might complement the residential side of things. But I, I think that two or three asset classes, you know, ideally two core is in, in maybe one dominant region for me at this stage that helped me a lot grow my business and get a handle on all the operations and all the, the perceived or not even perceived all the potential uh, errors and the potential um, fuck-ups for lack of a better word that I could make, right? Because I kind of had, I had some synergies that could help fix those, those uh, screw-ups because I didn't know all the different things about industrial or about certain regions, about uh, leases or tenants. So I, I don't know what you got out of that, but that's my advice for you. I think it's uh, a couple things. And earlier when you were talking about, is there an edge? Like, is there an edge there when you're looking at it? And, you know, can you can you find it quick? Uh, if not, then you might be just spinning your wheels. And it, is there a better opportunity for you with the time and the resources and the know-how you already have rather than relearning something that might be already on its last phase of the cycle kind of thing? Um, and then the other thing would be value. I think that's the other biggest part of what you were saying was 
okay, you you know that you need to add value, okay? And again, in another a number of ways, whether that's with your investors adding value, putting their money to someplace that's going to work and and give them a nice um, opportunity with you with real estate, whether it's uh, you know like you said with the apartment buildings or with the real estate, the, the single families that we buy and we buy them creatively, which is our edge. And, and buying it creatively is an edge because again, it's it's getting in with we were talking about buying a property, no money down, and and what does that do? And it allows us to go into something and, and maybe put more money into the property than just putting it into a into the down payment or into the cash of the purchase of the property. And that gives our edge with our tenants and, and making sure that we're doing a really, really good job with our management. And, and, and even more so where we didn't do such a good job was, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, but we weren't raising rents on a, uh, a strategic, you know, yearly basis. We weren't doing that. And what happens is I feel like there's, um, there's a lax that goes on where you you might not get to uh, a maintenance problem as soon as you need to because the rents are a little lower and uh, you know like well this person's been there forever and and again you, you kind of can sell yourself on that but I feel like when we push our rents uh, the the tenants are better and we're better and because they expect more and it's it's good for the company and it's good for I think it's good for everyone involved and it's just good for that that little ecosystem that you're creating in your company and with your tenant and for your and for your product you get better product and anyway so that was a the the, the really the the two things is that be a value person add value find it and do it and then find the edge of where you can add the value and you should have something pretty powerful so i think that was fantastic yeah man yeah and a couple couple points on that and then my i guess i would tailor off on that and you're not in this phase quite yet but you're getting there is in then developing your team around that that value add strategy. I mean, that's where I'm at at this stage where I just, there is, at, it's, it's really comes down for me. It's who, not how. At this stage, I would say 90% of all my problems can be solved by finding someone that can actually do the job and do it well. And they, they align with the strategy and they align with my culture and vision. So it's like, and I'm, that's where my head's at right now. It's like, who are the key players, the eight players that can deliver on my mission of, of delivering value to people? So it's that that's where my head's at. And and I have to just be super clear on the good old Tony Robbins days of that RPM method of like, what's the result that I want to achieve? And then what's the purpose? Why am I doing it as the leader? And then what is the map? What is the map to get there? And for me, the, I now have more re resources for me. The map is, is that hiring these key people, aligning the incentives in a way where they get, you know, units in our fund or they get, uh, you know, a larger compensation or they get free time on the Friday, whatever it is, or they get this feeling of community and connection that they are, you know, important and that they're, they are adding value and improving their lives and other people's lives, investors and their families' lives. So it's like, you know, people want to feel connection. They want to feel like they are like they're aligned with our vision and mission and our culture and being able to buy in, into that. And I was so busy, you know, just doing the day-to-day, the -day, just trying to get by. I didn't have time to implement any of that stuff. And I've made it a key priority. But I think, you know, for a, a leader like you, you know, early in a company and you're, you know, you're in like the, 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 the lower leagues and you're, you're elevating yourself into minors, majors, you know, right to the pros. And I would say like you defining your priorities, if I could give myself advice 10 or 20 years ago, like even if I had, you know, a lot of good ideas at this stage, if I can define my priorities to less than a handful, 
And I have those on a week by week basis, you know, clearly articulated, very simple. I put it in my Google Keep or Microsoft Notes or whatever you use, Apple Notes. If I have those five priorities in my head at all times, even when there's absolute chaos around me, I know this is what's most important. I took the time. I took an hour. I really thought through all of the things we're talking about right now. I wrote some things down. I got my thoughts out there. I know the five priorities this week that are going to deliver on that vision. And it's going to be the key pillars to help me take that next step to get to where I want to go. And there's and like every week now, I'm getting more and more clear on that. And it's helping me. And I have a long way to go. But this is just something that Traction helped me with. But I'm sure there's a million different other books that allow that. And, and now I'm helping other people in the company define their five priorities at all times. These are your key priorities. Because I was, you know, in our annual meeting, it was people said communication and clarity were their biggest concerns in the company. You know, and hearing that from the top down, you know, made me wake up and say, okay, I got to get better at this. I got to communicate, you know, what this vision and mission is. And we got to track it to get there so people know we're getting close and or we're not. And I got to share what, what really my culture is that I want at the company. And if people buy into it or not, and they can leave or stay. So yeah, I, I think that, you know, to me that stood out. But what I wanted to get onto is value is even with your tenants, you know, it's interesting, especially in this world where we, we get this opportunity in platform where people took whatever it's going to be a half hour to 45 minutes to listen to us here. And, you know, the, the asset is the attention. You know, we get this, we get to share our communication and hear other people communicate. And this is a, a fucking amazing thing that's uh, that's an you know innovation in the last few years and this platform to be able to share you know with what you're doing with your tenants you know you have these older tenants or you're on low income or it's workforce housing or it's family housing uh, and you, even if you're discounting the rents marty even if you're consciously choosing like i don't want to raise the rent on this person that's that's fine that's fine it, it, but you need to communicate the value that you're adding you have to share and create the standard and framework and the paradigm that these are market rents. So we provide you a great product and we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not slumlords that just keep the rents low and try to just not do, touch the property. We're going to provide great management. We're going to provide great improvements at the property amenities. And then, you know, we're going to give you good service and listen to you. We respect you. Now, if you want to keep the, the rents discounted, that's fine. Just like the big storage operators do, just you have to let them know they got a concession. Like you are, you delivering value to them, you, you know, for them being a value tenant, you're going to give them a discount and concession. So they better know that. <laughs> so when you send that invoice out, you better say, Hey, that this is the fair market rent, you know, and you're getting for being a valued customer, you're getting a five or 10% discount or whatever it ends up being. And you can raise the rents too. I mean, you can just share, Hey, these are the market rents. This is what we offer. You know, we want to deliver the highest quality product in order to do that. We have to charge, but you know, you have to be able to share that. Because people that don't perceive the value don't value it. Kids that get money for free don't value it. They, throw it, they, they just spend it like, they, like, it's, like there's no value to it. So you have to, you have to make sure your tenants acknowledge that they're getting value. And they might not even know that. And then they're going to feel the reverse. They'll feel entitled that, why, my rent's this. Why are you raising it on me? Because you know, I, I should have low rent. You're, you're a scumbag. No, no, market rents are here. You know, this is what it is, and and this is where we're giving you rent, and this is the value we're giving in return. That's super good. Like thinking about, I was just a clear picture in my head was, uh, we'll use storage for example, but you send the the monthly invoice comes in, and you see that you know competitor X Y Z is charging 
you know, $50 for a 10 by 10 or whatever the number is. And you're at 40 and you're like, by the way, <laughs> you like have like the three competitors with their prices and just going, but you know, just by the way, if you don't like the, the new $45 charge, just show, let me just show you where, where the, the rates are currently. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Or, I, I think, yeah, or, or yeah. when you invoice your tenants or on their portal, you know, when they go in on their portal for multifamily, yeah. you should yeah. definitely, you know, be able to show, Hey, this is fair market value. This is your concession. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and Oh, by the way, you know, this is like just a, my, my thing, but it's like, Oh, by the way, we're taking care of the lawn care. You're not doing that. We're doing right. all these, you know, at it. Cause you know, people, like you said, and even in our life, in, in your life, if people don't remind you that, Hey, by the way, I've been doing this for you, you know, like an employee. Hey, by the way, I've been doing X, Y, Z for, for you guys. And it, you know, just, I don't know if you've realized that it's like, Oh wow, that's great. Uh, I didn't know that. And glad you brought it to my attention. Now I need to compensate you for that. So it's, uh, yeah, you got, again, goes back to value, letting people know, <laughs> maybe you have to really just continue to let people know and, uh, or, or everything it does get, you know, deferred, you know, the the deferred maintenance of, of the company that <laughs> you got to, you got to stay on top of it. So yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah. That's interesting. So where we're at, so you're, uh, what, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Marty. I was going to say you're, I was curious, you're at a conference and you know, what's kind of going on there. You're, you're, you're there. I was wondering what the, what the reason yeah. why was and, and what you're getting it and how you're going to implement it. You know, this is a good one. This is a good topic here. And it's, I always like talking to you so everyone can listen to it. <laughs> so, uh, all right. These guys, they, they branded themselves fund launch. All right. And, uh, guy's name is Bridger Pennington, and he has this, it used to be called IFS, Investor Fund Secrets, and I started watching some of their stuff a couple of years back, and I think it's the same, with the evolution of what you're going through and being a real estate investor going from residential to commercial investment, taking that, that elevation in, in the jump of the business, of the, of the progression, this is a progression of capital raising. So, you know, I think what everyone starts out is, you know, for the most part, if you don't come from money, you, you fund something yourself and then you figure out, I don't have enough money to do this business or buy this property. Now I have to go get money from others. And then what, you know, we went through a couple of weeks ago, you go out there and you, you open up a partnership. And then when you open up a partnership, you have to understand, okay, what is the basics of a partnership? You know, what are the, what are the different terms that we're going to be offering in this partnership? You know, and then who is the lead? Who is the GP? the general partner, the manager, the leader of that partnership, who's the limited partner, who's the person that actually is going to be investing and giving you the cash and they don't have a say in it, but they are an investor and they expect a, a return in, in, for taking a risk on you. So, you know, that is the kind of the next evolution when you're trying to raise capital and you're, you're going through it now. And then it comes to this next stage, you know, where this, this conference tries to teach people, you know, okay, now you're aggregating capital, you're you're taking, you're opening a fund. And what that means is that you're taking money from multiple sources of people and or institutions and or companies. And then you're going out there and then you're, you're deploying it and you're going and buying multiple assets with this fund, with this pooled amount of funds. And there's uh, so many various ways of creating funds where they talk about hedge funds and venture capital funds and private equity funds and they, in private equity can be focused on a business model of buying real estate. They can be in healthcare. They could be in buying dental offices. You know, they could do anything. 
Right. So, so it's, it, it intrigued me because, you know, one thing it's kind of a, it's a mysterious world, right. Where you enter this institutional per se, you know, labeled money world. And in this money world, there's a lot of terms and phrases that average middle-class, lower middle-class people like us growing up never heard. And then you walk in to some of these fancy office buildings at the top of you know, high rises in Boston or New York or LA, and, or you're in these conferences where everyone has a uh, sophisticated education behind them and they, uh, they put in their graduate and undergraduate degrees. And I worked at, an, at a firm, some, some type of investment firm, and they're speaking in languages that you don't understand, right? And, and when, I, when, when I looked at that 10 years ago, I, I just avoided it you know, because I thought, I don't need that. I'm just going to do my real estate thing. And, and I was taught by the same mentor as you. And I had a handful of partners that kept, kept putting money in some of my deals. And I was able to find some good deals. And I was, I was able to grow. But it got to a point where you know, I couldn't achieve my goals and I couldn't build the company big enough where I could hire enough people to actually do the jobs that allowed me to grow where I was a frantic mess. And uh, I, you know, when I was presenting to that group in 2019 or 2018, I, I had, a, had a breakdown, but I was very expressive about how I felt about that. And I hit a threshold where I said, enough is enough. I have no more time in my day. Like I, I have to be able to grow to a degree where I can build enough fees to pay enough people to manage all these properties and to run this investment fund with me. I have to have, I have to have income to have employees. So you're going to get to that point. And when you do that, you know, you, at least what I found out and uh, unless you're doing really, really big sizable deals on a one-off basis, you know, 20, 30, $40 million deals, and you're raising on each of those deals in a partnership, you, uh, unless you're doing that, because that would allow you to generate some significant fees to continue to pay your employees, unless you're doing that and you're doing these two to $10 million deals like we're doing, and everyone listening to the show sees that we buy these storages and mobile home parks and small bay industrial, um, you're going to have to do volume. And when you do volume, you're going to find out that all the partnerships are very difficult to service. You know, you don't want to compromise service. And your investors as a partnership, the biggest and most important thing that they want from you, service, is communication and clarity. And when you have 40 or 50 syndications, it starts to get very difficult. And, and you have a handful of investors in each syndication. So you have over 100 investors. It's very difficult to give them that quality service and communication and clarity because you have so many different unique partnerships. And some of them, you know, are and all of them aren't synergistically tied together. So you can't share a win in one and then the other one, you know, gets like, why did you do that one with that guy? And, you know, what do you why aren't you doing what my deal, you know, and you're all over the place. And, and I'm not saying that's OK. It's not a, you don't always have to have funds, but I'm just saying these are some of the things that you go through. And in the beginning, though, you know, what I feel is valuable is doing what you're doing. And what I feel in this group is people need to focus on it when he's teaching people about raising funds is they're skipping this process of actually going through and starting and getting a proof of concept on individual deals and getting a little track record behind your belt. I had that 10 plus year track record where I felt confident and comfortable in those two asset classes that I knew, okay, I can now start to scale up and build a bigger vehicle in a fund and start to enter that world where all these sophisticated people are talking with these terms I don't understand. So for me, it was like, okay, I, my edge, my niche 
was I got in there and I learned in and out this asset, these two asset classes. I understand who owns them. I understand the obstacles and challenges. I understand the customers. I understand the platform and the environment that's out there and then where the opportunities lie. And then I was in there and I was able to pick up on that. Once I understood that, I had some confidence where I could come in and now start to raise capital at scale. That's where I was like, okay, now, now it's time to start to consolidate this stuff. And no matter how good, if I can get a good 50-50 deal and I get a good partnership like you, like you have a guy that you have a good partner, he'll come in, fund the deal. You know, you give him ha- um, all the profits until he's paid back. And then you split the profits and you basically work for him and you do a good job, you know, and he's happy with you. But you're going to find where, if, you know, his family in the future doesn't want to do any deals or you found a couple of good deals, but then you grew a little bit and you want a, a few more. And he's like, you know what, I, five million is enough. Like, I really don't want to invest more than that. You're going to have to go out there and pursue other capital sources. So being able to understand that and, and deliver on that for me was, OK, now it's time to progress into this next world of funds. So I could learn terms like what's the difference between an American and a European waterfall structure, you know, and be able to talk that language. And, or, you know, what's the difference between uh, um, different unit classes of shares and how are they taxed differently? And how do you incentivize um, larger investors to get into your funds? And do you offer preferential treatment to bigger investors or not? Or how do you, how do you open a fund and how do you register you know, as an exempt fund from the SEC? And how do you, you know, accredit investors, make sure they're accredited so that you're complying and you're not advertising to people or you're not taking funds from people that aren't, accredited, that aren't allowed to be giving you funds you know, where you're breaking the law? All these things, you know, I think what they're doing is a good job here, uh, but I feel like the, there's some missing pieces where um, there's a responsibility to these people that are going out and raising a lot of funds. You know, they're going out and convincing people through great, you know, offers and sales techniques and you know, presentation and marketing and all that good stuff. And you know, America's great. You can be an entrepreneur and go out and have an idea and go raise money and go go make money. But you know, I feel like a lack of clarity about the underlying business or the underlying opportunity that is there in order to capitalize it with the funds could be extremely dangerous, right? I mean, like it's a very competitive marketplace. If you don't, if you're not trained for 20 years to be on the field for the NFL or 10, 15 years, you're going to get out there and get absolutely annihilated, right? Yeah. In a yeah. second. So absolutely. it's like, I'm thinking like this fund world is big boy game, you know? It's like, so I'm just like, man, you know, I'm seeing some of the, the sheep that are, you know, they're posed like wolves, but, uh, you know, underneath it all, when they do get in the arena, you know, everyone sees that they're just a sheep and they're going to get eaten up. So, you know, that's just my opinion. And these guys are in a lot of different crypto and they're in um, hedge funds investing in uh, healthcare and all these in equities doing day trading. I mean, so it's for me, it was just a great perspective to understand, OK, this is this world out there of fundraising. Because at the end of the day, we all have to, if we're going to grow a business and scale it, we're going to have to raise funds. So this is, this is the environment. This is the field that we're all playing on. Now I can understand where I fit on this field and what league I am in, what rank I am in here. And then now I can kind of define where I want to play and when I want to elevate to different levels. And I can also now communicate to the investors, okay, this is how I relate to the other players in the game. So that way, you know, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I know where I sit at the table. You know, and I'm not delusional that I have, you know, I have this amazing hand and, and I really don't, you know, I, I really I'm, I'm missing all these pieces. So it's it, it goes down a deep rabbit hole, Marty, and you know, I get off on these things. But I think for me, you know, what it did 
you know, is, and I, we can learn more about funds and I can share about the future of that and all that good stuff. But what, it, what I think um, when we talked about my, you know, my failure as a young man, trying to invest in real estate and really not having an edge, you know, just going on with the crowd, getting loans, buying properties, single family properties in Vegas, trying to ride the market up. Every realtor and stripper had, a, you know, homes all over the place. All the whole thing fell apart in House of Cards. It was just, a, it just collapsed and big short, just just perfect movie for young people that want to know what happened. That's exactly what happened. I was devastated. Tax liens, you know, I had foreclosures. I had credit card defaults. It was a 10-year rebuild on my credit. But what I knew right there, it was like, okay, like I got to build one that my identity is not how much money I have. So even when I was living in, in my buddy Al's foreclosed house, and I had no money and I couldn't even pay for that girl's piece of corn, you know, that I said, you know, I was fucking broke and I couldn't even get a date. It was it was a long, dry spell out there. So I was like, OK, you know, like I I have to you know, this is not who I am as a, as a man. You know, I might be broke right now, but you know what? Like I do have like value, you know, and I and I understand that I'm going to learn this thing. And this is just part of the process. And at the time. I didn't really, you know, it wasn't like I really truly understood that this is an unconscious, subconscious thing, but it was more like, okay, you know what? Like I had to prove so much to so many people when I was young and I can see it in these young guys walking around the Miami Convention Center where that, you know, they need to show that they're successful. And I get it. You know, we're all as a young man, you know, you've got to show off. Like, you know, when you go out on the field and you work, you work hard, you want to show I'm a, I'm a great player. I'm a great guy, you know, and, and there's a little ego that's good. That's, that's healthy, but when you when you try to do it, when you try to express it or share it and you're pushing it on other people immediately, you know, the undertones are like you can feel that creepy, weird. You know, it's not real. dude. You're, you're trying too hard, you know, like, OK, you know, like if you went inside and, and you don't identify with you know all the money you made or success or the way you look or you had you know your resume, you know, and, and that's not who you are as a, as a man. You're just, a, you know, whatever that is that you want to be. You, it's every person's determination of who they want to be. But if you're honest with yourself and, and you articulate it and you have these deep conversations and you go through suffering, like you really suffer in life and you figure it out. I'm not saying you have to lose it all, but then you figure out who you are and who you're comfortable being. And then you're like, I don't have to, I don't have to be anyone in front of this person. I, this person doesn't have to like me. You know, I respect this person. I mean, I, I command respect too, because I add value. I don't have a lot of time for nonsense, but I, you know, I'm going to treat people with integrity. You know, I appreciate the opportunities that I have. I want to share what I do, you know, and I want to learn what you have to do. And this is, this is, that's a, that's a bound, that's a good boundary relationship. And that's a healthy human being that I want to, I want to learn about. But immediately if these guys are coming at me and there's some weird vibe that they got to show off that there's some successful thing they're doing or some weird, you know, I'm saying that energy, people feel it, you know, two million, a million years ago when we were evolving, if you came from the other tribe and I came to your tribe. If, if I don't know your intentions and I can't read your body and there's no such thing as language and I feel you're going to fuck me up, I'm, I'm getting away. Exactly. Exactly. It's time to it, like we got to we're going to battle. So like it's exactly the same thing. We're just like evolved apes where we're looking at each other, just good, feeling each other out before we're talking. And then there's just all this, you know, all there's all these um, like uh, tra trappings of like, you know, like nice suits and watches and cars and clothes and all this other shit like that's just, it's an illusion. I mean, yes, they, you know, it conveys a little bit about the person, but I want to know, are you great at the business? Have you gone through something challenging? You know, what's the edge that you have? What are your values, right? What do you truly value? What, and where do you want to go with this? How do you think? How do you communicate? How do you listen? 
You know, how do you express yourself? All those things tell me about me wanting to invest or that person investing with me before I ever see a pitch deck. No doubt. No doubt, man. That's just, it's just, uh, if, if you go back and listen to that, for me, like where I see the biggest edge and like why it's like a no brainer to work with people like you and hopefully people like me is, uh, you know, first of all, you have to kind of know who you are and, and you have to really be okay with who you are and you have to have right. self-awareness. Like right. self-awareness is like such a key to have in business and to know and be aware of the other person that you're talking to. Like perfect example. We all know that when you're going to those meetups and that person just can't stop talking about themselves, it's like, yeah. it's immediately. And I always, I asked this before to you, Jeremiah, I go, how do these people get to these places in their, in their life? Anyway, different story and, and God bless them all you can say. And, uh, but where I really see what you were talking about and where I really see an edge in you and what gives me confidence and just this podcast <laughs> and why people should listen is because it's almost like the analogy of like having the player on the field who knows the business like you do, right? Who's in the business, who's fought on the battlefield, right? Who's literally in the trenches and used to be in the trenches and still is um, in those trenches fighting to now being the owner of the organization, right? So like, mm -hmm. or the GM, and there's so mm -hmm. much more credibility from the John Elway who goes from that, you know, quarterback to the GM and mm -hmm. you just, you get way more because you were there or the Tony Romo who went from the quarterback to now he's the, the play caller. You just, you appreciate it more. So I see that like if someone's coming from, you know, just that, yeah, I went to Harvard and, and I'm just as an example. And then I, you know, I'm in wall street. And now I, I believe I could buy this, you know, type of asset and, and run it. It's like, maybe I find, you know, possibly, but geez, the, the edge, I could see it being like, Hey, I was there. I've done it. I've built it. And now I'm going and doing the stuff that is the top layer stuff of, you know, learning those financial terms and all that great stuff so that you can be even more value to the people that are working with you. And that's employees, that's investors, that's the sellers of everything that you're just giving more value by going that top, uh, you know, to take that next step in learning that stuff. So I, I think that it speaks to me. Oh yeah, Marty, a great story. I was just listening to, I don't know, it was some YouTube short and as Alexander, you know, uh, the, the, the ruler, right. He, he from Macedonia, he's on this ambition to, to, to take over to the end of the earth. That was his goal. He went, he thought, they thought the end of the earth at that time was uh, India, you know, so he was, his ambition was to, to rule the, the world. And as they were trekking East, you know, he would, his troops were getting so uh, tired of the, the trek. And they're like, when is this ever going to end? And then he got hit with an arrow and he was injured. And he was, you know, he was he was having a lot a tough time being able to even get up and keep pushing the troops to the front. And, you know, and he led from the front as a leader. And so everybody when his his moral or, or his his like energy, uh, his his ambition was diminishing through him, you know, being uh, hurt and injured. Uh, they give him they, they they muster up like a cup of water and they were all thirsty. No one had any water. They muster up like one bowl of water and they give it to him in the desert as they're pushing east. And he holds it up and then he goes to drink it and he dumps it on the ground and everybody fucking cheers. And he's like, fuck it. Let's go. Because so, <laughs> if, if they can't have water, he can't either. And they oh, push on. Man. Yeah. And they dominated Persia. So it was pretty cool, man. I, I, love, that. I love it. I love that. Too. That's the stuff. And, 
you have to be a little bit of a sicko to love that kind of stuff. But if you love that stuff, you kind of get where we're coming from. So I, uh, I could appreciate that story. Yeah. Let's, I, I mean, let's end you it here. <laughs> great leaders, man. Great, great leaders lead from the front. You know, all of them. I love all it. Of them do. Yeah. Uh, I guess to, to wrap it up, man. Yeah. Um, I think we should explore more about, you know, maybe funds and partnerships and, you know, capital raising. I think, you know, as you go through your journey, I'm happy to share it, uh, you know, share what I can teach you. And I think it's important right now because, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy out there. A lot of, you know, there's two schools, right? There's the passive and active investor. And, you know, we're all to a degree both. And, you know, there was a $200 million default in Houston on an apartment complex that was, what, a year or two just in the making. So, you know, we're starting to see sponsors that, that might be failing. And that could be the canary in the coal mine telling us that, you know, there's going to be some tough times ahead where a lot, of, a lot of people got in the industry. They raised a lot of funds. They have a good thesis. But, you know, the business plan and the team was flawed from the beginning. So we're going to see how this evolves. And I, you know, I haven't looked into it too deeply, but a lot of my network have been sharing that with me. There was an oil and gas Ponzi scheme that just happened for $155 million, I guess, where someone raised money and they, there was nothing backing it. And there was some other guys that went to jail you know, a few years ago that were doing some, some type of nefarious activity. So I think more than ever, time to buckle down. And it's not so important about grow, 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 right? It's, it's fortify our defenses, get some liquidity, build up the players, the roster, make sure that you can sustain the hard times, right? Because we're all going to be, we're all going to be beat up a little bit. And then we have to figure out, you know, when we mobilize and, and we, and we protect ourselves and our investors, you know, then make those offensive aggressive moves. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, if you if you move too quick, too early, you know, you can get put to sleep like in, in boxing. Right. So we, you got to be careful and feel out and understand that next calculated move. Once you feel you can make that calculated move, then you can put everything behind it and throw that punch. So, you know, I think I just want to share with you, you know, be patient and continue to do the reps. You're doing you got the right assets you're looking at and you've got the right you know, region and you've got, and you, you have a good context of the right team managing the stuff. So now it's like, I know you want to push these deals over the finish line. Um, but I think if you're just patient, you can structure the deal to be very advantageous for you. Because I think what I'm seeing in the market is over the next six to 12 months, operators are more in demand than the money. In the past, you know, everybody wanted the money more. Whoever could pay the most was the hot, was the winner. Now, it's not really the case where there's less and less people paying high prices for property. Now, when I sell a property or with other people, they're looking at, can this guy really close? Can this guy really execute? Can this guy really get a loan? Do they really know what they're doing? Right? And same with investors. Can this guy really do what he's saying? Maybe I don't need the 20% return. Can I get the safe, you know, 12 to 15 and get some good tax benefits right now? So I think it's, we got to shore up for what we got. And but and and have some really conservative assumptions, and and then you know push the envelope a little bit on the negotiations. For me, I'm you know what I'm doing. I'm just and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it tip in my favor, where I'm willing to walk away. And I'm like, you know what, you know that's my best and final offer. And I'm I'm cool with letting it go. And like you said, right before the call, you're on that call with the other seller, you know, giving you a call. You know, go list it. Go see if you can sell it. Go t- go get it tied up in contract. If they get it to the finish line. God bless them. 
but at least you know, you know, if we're if we're looking at the competition like the art of war, we know our enemy. That person just deployed a lot of resources on an asset that they're not going to make money on because we're all playing the same game. So good. Go exhaust, go exhaust your resources on something that's a useless battle. Go take that hill. I don't even really want it. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go fight another battle and I'm going to win the big war because you just blew all your resources on a a ridiculous asset. I was going to buy it, but I'm I'll I'll buy it and just use very few resources and add it to the fold. So just think of it in that big picture instead of getting worried about. Very good. It's very helpful. And it's it's uh, perfect timing for me. So that's incredible. All right, brother. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being here. Jeremiah, thank you as always. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you for tuning into the Marty Grisani Show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest rating and review. If you're on Spotify, make sure you follow us for weekly episodes.